should have done it come before. This is not a good time to do it. Yeah, but maybe as we're leaving. <laughs> the, the party's beginning. <laughs> title of my um, thoughts for tonight, uh, the title is um, The Sacred Pause. For some reason, that word just kept floating through my mind uh, tonight while I was sitting, so I decided that would be our, our title. But then I listened to Linda offer her teaching on generosity and you may have, I think, everyone may have appreciated the, the joy that uh, can come through the thought of giving, joy of the act of giving, joy of the memory of having given. But she described beautifully, and that's how the Buddha spoke about it. And it, I started thinking about the way that the, that the Buddha shared the teachings and he always, and I, I've always wondered whether we were, whether this was the right thing to have a, a dana talk uh, before the dharma talk. But the Buddha's first dharma talk always was on dana. That's the first talk that he gave to lay people. It was all about generosity, knowing that 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 thought of giving and then the act of it and the memory of it is something that no matter what you do or how you do it, whether it's to someone on the street or someone, uh, some gesture, some smile, whatever it might be, that that um, is something that we have the power, it has the power to bring gladness to the heart, to liberate our heart from the tendency to, to uh, isolate, to contract, to cling, it is an act of letting go. It is an act of freedom. And it's something that we have as our capacity to do every single day in so many thousands of different ways. So this is really in, in harmony with the, what the Buddha um, first talked to lay people about. And it's considered one of the three baskets of the Dharma. The basket of, of dana, generosity. The basket of sila, or ethics and morality, Uh, the basket of non-harming actions of body, speech, and mind. That is what our 100-day retreat is about. And the last basket is, um, is what's called 
It's dana, sila, bhavana. Bhavana is the training of our hearts and minds to, uh, to incline toward the wholesome, to abandon the unwholesome, to incline toward wisdom, toward concentration, toward calm, toward all the wholesome qualities that lead us to a, a greater sense of well-being, all of which are within the power. It is a men- it's a turning of our mind toward this possibility and then using, as I described last week, using that open field of creative possibility that every moment is, using it as that, uh, that field to plant the seed of happiness and that it is within our power. It's not just some kind of accident that just happens to the privilege, that just happens to, to uh, some people. Some, it is clear, and I've been speaking to some people about this, it is clear that by all appearances, some people suffer more than others. And this world is just so filled with suffering. But even in the, in the domains where there's a lot of suffering, there are beings who handle it well and beings who don't. There are beings who laugh, even in the, as one poet put it, even in the, in the hot furnace of the world, even in the worst conditions, there are still people standing by the fountain laughing and that we that this is really within our within our hearts and our minds to to be happy and a lot of that can be realized it's not something that you just hold out as a a vague possibility for seven lifetimes from here it's something that we can actualize and develop some confidence in in those simple moments that I'm calling tonight the sacred pause. It's that moment that Linda spoke about where she, where she pauses and she considers. Now you, don't, now you don't consider, so now you have to have another mindfulness bell. But you consider whether you're going to offer something, and then you make that connection with that, that person. That little moment of looking into somebody's eyes, I, that's what really kept caught me, is that looking into somebody's eyes. We think of that as a moment of looking into somebody's eyes, and that's basically what it is, but we may not appreciate that that moment done with, with a certain kind of volition, and when I, I'm using the word volition tonight because this is really the Buddha's understanding of karma and the effects of karma, karma meaning action. What really determines the effect of an action is the volition, is that it's volitional, it's intentional. And what determines the effect is what's the engine that's driving that action. So if the, if the engine is generosity, if the engine is goodwill, if the, gen, if the engine is to connect with life, is to be free, is to, is to, feel, is to feel whole, then that action of simply connecting with somebody, looking into their eyes, is, uh, is onward leading. It is, a, is an action that, uh, in one way, could be reduced to uh, the arousing, or the, yeah, the arousing of what are called the concentration factors. It's the same thing that you would do in your sitting practice when you take your scattered mind that's going here and there, that's preoccupied with your situation, with your, uh, either your internal drama or your external drama, and all of a sudden you 
there is a, a moment of being slightly oriented to the present moment, and then you have this volition, this intention to connect, this intention to feel your body, this, this intention to connect with your breath, and then you decide, I like being here. I think being here, the, Buddha, the Buddha said being here is a good thing. He said that not only is being here a good thing, this is the top of the mountain, right here. This is the beginning of the path, it's the path itself, it's the end of the path to be right here. It does not get any higher than right here. You may get a glimpse of that, and it may, it may be from what you heard, it may be because you tasted it. But that becomes the springboard, the cause of the volitional action, the intention to connect with the present moment, utilizing, as, as the Buddha recommended, utilizing this fathom-long body, utilizing what he called anapanasati, mindfulness of breathing, same practice that the Buddha did. Now, what is, what is the, that activity? What is that action of gathering our attention to our body and feeling the breath? It's the same as, connect, as looking into somebody's eyes and connecting. And that's the use, that is the arousing at that moment, based on that, hopefully, a wholesome intention. That is an, the arousing of the, what's called a mental factor. And it's called, in the Pali language, for those of you who want to look it up, that's called vitaka. Vitaka is that capacity of our mind to gather, to take this vast, panoramic awareness, this primordial presence that we are, and bring it to bear on some, some form, some object, or person, or thing that we're doing. You with me so far? Now that may not seem like much. Connect. But then if we apply another, we apply another, what's called, uh, another concentration factor or mental factor. It's called vichara. Vichara is sometimes translated as uh, sticking to or sustained or sinking into. So if I connect with, with a person or if I connect with a, an object and I sustain that connection, I'm seeing Andrea right now, and if I connect with Andrea and I sustain that connection, and let's say you're somebody I met on the street. And we have to be discerning about who we do this with, no doubt about it. Not everybody is, is it's not always safe to do this, so you want to, be, want to be discerning. It's not just kind of, I'm going to smile and give everybody everything. But within reason, if I connect and I sustain with that person, there are at least the way the teachings put it, there are three things that will inevitably flow from this, this simple act of my mind connecting and sustaining. What are those three things that will flow from this? What happens? What happens when we do that with our breath? What happens when we do that with, with a, a project that we're engaged in? But what happens when we do it with a person? What flows from that is an increasing feeling of immediacy, obviously. That's not the mental factor that I'm talking about. But the mental factor that comes with that is what's called 
pity or rapture. Rapture is sometimes translated as rapt attention or intense interest, but often with rapture there is a there is a, sh- a shifting. There is a there is a shifting of our whole field of presence. We're no longer just kind of cruising down the street or just passing by our, our near and dear ones or, or the clerk in the store. We're actually using that interaction to jump into this, this, uh, this inexhaustible presence. We're plugging into a current of life. And there's, it, we're literally, it's almost as though we're entering into the, the electricity of, of being alive and present. It's the same feeling that you have when you just feel that pulsing of life through your body. And you're not so lost or scattered that you actually feel yourself here. You feel yourself for a moment as though there's only here. That that anything, anything that you thought of as your life, you have to, in order to even find it, you have to dig into what, what uh, one of my teachers called the graveyard of memory. Where is it now? And all of a sudden, you're just so here that life just comes alive. So with that comes this this feeling of of rapture. And often there's a a change in the physical, your your vibratory field. You feel all of a sudden more alive, more more everything. And your sight becomes more vivid and smells become more acute. Everything comes alive. Sounds. This is all the same thing that happens when we connect and sustain, keep our body and mind in the same location. But when you do it with a person, it's the ingredient for love. You cannot help but feel attention brings affection. You can't help but fall in love with somebody that you connect with that way. Just in the sim- I don't mean in the romantic sense. But that may happen too. You have to take that risk. But not only does this feeling of rapture come, but also, no matter where or how far we'd wandered away, all of a sudden, there is a sense of comfort. That's called sukha. There's a sense of a kind of well-being and happiness. Now, how far did we have to wander for that? We didn't have to go anywhere. Just had to connect and had to sustain that connection, and had to be there to feel that kind of rapt interest. And with it comes comfort. And then what comes out of that, you've all heard this list before, but this is called the list of the concentration factors, or sometimes called the jhanic factors. The last last quality that, that we begin to sense from the inside, and then, of course, that sense of the inside and the outside start to melt away and we touch into what's called ekagata, or one-pointedness. We are so immersed in this simplicity of this experience that there is a, and being present, that the desire to be anywhere else just vanishes. And we start to feel not just the connection with that person, but we start to feel a connection with everything around, too start to feel that we're, we're held in a, in a kind of, uh, one of the way the Taoists talk about it is a, in a cosmic bubble. So it may sound a little mystical, but it's as simple as connecting and sustaining. It's fun.
<laughs> but it's but it's not just um, it's not just with a person. It's not just with an act of generosity. It's really every moment that we engage in our life. And our experience when we're so immediate and so present, when we're more just at the end of the rainbow, which is right here, uh, it's, it's, it's much more satisfying, much more hopeful, you could say, than the, the construction of the world that gets made in our mind. The construction of the world that gets made in our mind is the one that we saw on television. The one that the one that we the vignettes that we saw of pain or suffering or the whatever is going on in our family what it's all happening. But it's easy to forget when so much is happening and so we have so much to do, so many things to figure out, so many so much to accomplish. It's easy to overlook that um, that in the middle of it there is this uh, sacredness. There is all the capacity to experience uh, joy. Now, I always like to say that nothing, for anybody who came here tonight, probably nothing has changed in your life situation since you got here tonight. But maybe just by being here a little while and sitting, giving yourself that gift of, of silence and being alone together, maybe you've had a little taste of a little vitaka, a little gathering, and you sustain that a little bit, and that's part of the function of a, and support of sangha is, that, is a sangha, the field that gets created, it helps keep us here for a little bit, long enough to experience a little more comfort, long enough to feel a, a sense of rapture, long enough to feel a sense of a widening of our, of our uh, ring of being. Because the deeper meaning of one-pointedness is the one point that includes everything. So this capacity is available anytime, anywhere. And it is especially uh, important to, to, as a way of remembering that, to, throughout the day, in all your about-to moments, all the transition periods, whenever you can remember, to do a sacred pause. To just have that part of your vocabulary. Sacred pause, sacred pause, sacred pause. And in that moment, see if you can run through the, run through the, the factors of the, the tranquility factors. Can you connect? Can you, for that moment, sustain that connection? Long enough so that you know you're here. Long enough that you can find a little comfort in this present moment. Long enough that you become interested in your, not just in your dramas, but in your immediate surroundings. Long enough to feel a connection with the life, with life. How long does it take? So sacred pause. And I think it's important, especially this sacred pause, when it comes to our 100-day retreat. Some of you may know about this, some of you don't. Last week I inaugurated another 100 days of, 
of committed practice to uh, focus on harmlessness, focus on doing no harm, on, on developing in our life if we haven't already, but just enhancing our practice of non-harming, our practice of being extra, extra, in the most loving way, careful about what we do with our bodies, what we do with our speech, and that includes writing, and what we do with our mind. To have it expressing, expressing both wise view that our actions, wise view that the for one part of wise understanding is that our actions produce results. Everything that we do with our body, speech, and our mind produces results. Everything I say has a ripple. Everything I feel, everything I um, do has a ripple. And what mostly, again, circling around what really determines the effect of what I say, do, or think is what is driving it. It's what's motivating it. It's the volition. It's the intention behind it. Is my, and is my, I want to know whether my intention is driven by wanting something that I don't have, uh, by greed in my mind, is it driven by ill will, whatever I'm thinking about, whatever I'm saying, is what I'm thinking or saying, is it driven by, by ignorance, is it driven by, by, um, by carelessness, by, by confusion, what's driving my actions? So if I pause, I can, I can reflect on that for a moment. I can see what am I, just before I speak, tonight, you know, often before, before I speak on Tuesday nights, I am plagued by this line that goes through my head often. It says, before you speak, consider whether your words will be an improvement on the silence. <laughs> I think we could do that a lot, and it, would, it, would, uh, it, would, it might prevent some very unwise speech. The Buddha talked about ten very strong, unwholesome actions of body, speech, and mind. And the uh, first one, I'll go through the list with you. And all of these things, because volition is a mental process, volition, intention is a mental thing, part of our karma, it's a mental process. It's what we're doing, even though it's an internal thing, it has such a ripple in our life, so it's both, it affects our own life and it affects other people. So we really want to tune in to what is driving what we're doing. And because those, the actions themselves will have result. And the ten very unwholesome actions are destroying life in whatever way, uh, taking that which is not given, that's basically stealing, uh, unwise conduct, this is traditional language, but unwise conduct uh, regarding sense, de sense desires or sense pleasures, where you, the way I think of this is being, having your mind so caught up in the seeking, gratifying of sense desires that you, you're oblivious. You're just oblivious to the impact that it has on your own mind, impact on other people, and how it, how it just narrows our vision, it hypnotizes us into thinking that, uh, 
we cannot be happy unless we have what we want, etc. So unwise conduct regarding sense pleasures. But then it gets into speech, which, I, which is what was really on my mind today. So speaking uh, that which is not true, lying, exaggerating, just false speech, speech that is not true. And then slanderous speech, speaking for, to harm someone. So the basic positive encouragement is to say what is true, to say what is useful, to say what is timely, and to say what is of benefit to the person that you're speaking to. Now, often, we do not take enough sacred pauses. We don't have enough continuity of mindfulness to have that space of open creative possibility available to us in real time to make the determination whether our words will be an improvement on the silence or an improvement on my life or an improvement on the life of the person I'm speaking to. We often don't do that. So it's, very, so it's important to reflect on, on, the, um, on the, what's driving our actions and the action itself. So we've got uh, false speech, slanderous speech, harsh speech, the encouragement, at least in the teachings. All of sila, when you talk about ethics and morality, it's not so much uh, learning how to be an obedient Buddha or an obedient Buddhist. It's about it's all about discovering and all the conversation about wholesome and unwholesome, it's, it's that which leads to harmony and that which leads to disharmony. And that's something that we all have to clarify and discover for ourselves. And that's why the precepts of, of practicing wise speech are not commandments, they are areas of practice. We, we see, is this speech slanderous? Is it, spe- is it for the benefit of the person? Is it to cause harm? Is it to, is it to exaggerate my own uh, uh, importance? Is it to gain some kind of advantage? Uh, what, is, what's, what am I doing here before I speak? So just pausing before you speak. And it, at first, to pause because our mindfulness is not so continuous, it may feel very stilted to say, hey, I'm going to wait before I open my mouth. I'm, I'm giving myself this teaching. <laughs> I need this teaching. Because it's, uh, especially when I get triggered, if I get angry or frustrated or something, and especially at home, it's amazing how quick it comes out and how much our speech can be oriented toward uh, demand or blame or, or even asking questions energetically sometimes can be experienced as an attack. So it's being really careful uh, until, we, until it becomes embedded in us to, to appreciate the power of our words, the power of our thoughts, the power of our written words as well, to appreciate it to the point where, where we, can, we can feel that uh, our intentions are wholesome and the, and the sometimes... There are sometimes unintended consequences, but if the intention is wholesome and you're not, and you're tuned into what's driving it, you're likely uh, not to increase the cause of suffering. It's impossible to govern all of that, but at least we can more orient ourselves toward non-harming. 
So again, I want to just go through these false speech, slanderous speech, harsh speech, idle chatter. Idle chatter. Now, this one may not seem on the surface uh, inherently problematic, but uh, sometimes idle chatter is just... There's often an engine. Sometimes it's go- you know, gossip. Sometimes it's to ally with somebody. Sometimes it's to gain, it in, gain some kind of a... Um, yeah, some kind of... How can I say this? I, the word that keeps going through my mind is misery loves company. You know, to, to engage somebody in our, in our particular state. So, idle chatter. One of my... Teachers, Joseph Goldstein, tried to not gossip for, took a period of time and committed to not gossiping. And he realized that 90% of his communication went away. (laughs) And so sometimes it's just filling up space, gossip. Sometimes it's, it's, um, It's not really a way of connect. Sometimes it's if the motivation is to connect with somebody. Sometimes it doesn't even matter what you talk about. It's just that the heart connection. But often it's it's actually the word that's going through my mind is obfuscate. It, there's some way that it's a distraction from really connecting, and it's it ends up being kind of superficial and disembodying. You'll find that more you take that sacred pause, the more you stay embodied. It's a little harder to gossip. It's a little harder to have to just be caught in idle speech. So being sensitive to that. I think I've run out of time. Just while we're at it, I'll share the last three uh, unwise actions. Covetousness, ill will, and... I don't, underst- I, I don't know how to unpack this right now, but it's... The 10th one is called wrong view. And wrong view is basically not understanding that your, that your actions of body, speech, and mind produce results. Not understand that your, that your actions can be the cause of happiness. Not just worldly happiness, but can be the cause of liberating happiness, of a sure heart's release. And not understanding that is, is the cause of so much, um, so much unhappiness. So all of this, everything, all of the sacred pause is to help us to actualize, to turn our mind toward what the Buddha called uh, wise thought or wise intention. Thoughts or intentions that are governed by harmlessness, as our theme is, that are governed by goodwill and uh, governed by renunciation. And renunciation, of course, is that is the counterbalance to the tendency, especially practiced in our culture, of, of, uh, of feeding incessantly the insatiable wanting mind that turns us all into hungry ghosts with little mouths and huge stomachs that can't be satisfied, that is endlessly talking about making us happy, but actually keeps us in a state of constant dissatisfaction. It's 
as Bo Lozov says, it's constantly orienting us to try to keep up with what other people have, or otherwise known as keep up with the Joneses. But as he says, it's time that we see that the Joneses are not happy. And so renunciation means that we start to value simplicity, contentment, acting in a way that, that doesn't just feed this, this, um, this wanting mind and then the covetousness and the comparing mind and wanting what other people have and then not wanting what we do have and all of it flows from that. So we've got, non, we've got intention for non-harming, harmlessness, intention for renunciation, and intention of goodwill. So that's the other thing that I suggest that as you go through this 100 days and through your whole life, planting those seeds with every sacred pause of kindness, wishing yourself well, wishing everyone well, planting that seed. I think there was a passage I read that the Buddha did this for seven years or something. Seven years of wishing of practicing metta moment by moment and it led to you know in his life sure hearts release so may all of you have the sure hearts release and may all of you um, realize the bliss of blamelessness and um, the joy of harmlessness and May all the people who have to live with you also realize the, realize the fruits of your actions. And may all beings everywhere uh, be touched by your practice, by all our practice, uh, because we don't just do this for ourselves, nor can we do it by ourselves. So may all beings be happy. Oh, Marissa. Marissa needs a ride to Noe Valley. Is anyone going toward Noe Valley? It would be nice enough to give Marissa a ride. Tara, great. Thank you. Anyway, thanks for listening, and thanks for your practice, and thanks for your generosity, and hope to see you next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.